So Genesis chapter 50, starting at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? They sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to, uh, to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to, you, to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Uh, thank you, Ralph, uh, for uh, reading that. Do keep um, a Bible open in front of you if you if you got it there and at, at home as well. As we come uh, to look at this closing part uh, of the the book of Genesis um, and our, our studies together on these past few Sundays. Um, I once went uh, for an informal chat about a job um, some years ago. Julia came with me to meet some of the people. It was all fine because it was just meant to be a chat until one of the people in the room just turned to Julia out of the blue and said, said to her, Julia's my wife, and, and said to her, eh, so Julia, tell us, what are David's strengths and weaknesses? And hardly without pausing, um, she started to answer weaknesses, and then began to list. Uh, and I said, steady on, steady on. Uh, but I thought at the time, what a great person to ask. We've been married for a while. She knows almost everything about me. And then I thought, what a terrible person to ask. She knows almost everything about me. Um, two of the scariest words, I think, that can ever pass through your head, they're the kind of words that will wake you up in the middle of the night and you'll be thinking on them. Uh, or as you, as you start the day, you'll be thinking of, on them in a, a, a distracted way. They're, they're these two words, what if? You know these words that come through your mind? What if starting a new school? Uh, what if uh, I don't make any friends? Heading to the doctors. What if it's bad news? Those of you who who view things and post things on social media, what if people don't think I look the right way? 
what if? Those of you with families, uh, uh, parenting, what if we muck them up in some way? Or, or then there's the guilty conscience, what if they find out? And it can be, it can be a terrifying thing, isn't it, those words, what, what if? I mean, what if Julia wrote down stuff about me and put it in this envelope? What, what if she did that? W- would you want to open it up? Would you want to read it? Have a look at what she'd put down? Some of you might uh, want to do that. Um, actually, hang on. What if it wasn't about me? What if it was your bit of paper? What was it about if it was stuff written about you, written by someone who really knows you? Uh, would you want me to open it? Would you want me to read it out loud? I mean, you know I've not got anything on you in here. But what if? You can't help yourself at that point, can you? Your stomach still tightens. I mean, you know I've not got anything on you, but just the thought of, of what if he has? What ifs? Uh, they really do unsettle us. The, the concerns about things maybe getting worse, concerns about feelings of guilt. And if you, if you can feel that in any kind of way, those what ifs, it's worth noting as we're, we've been reading through this, this book of Genesis, right at the end we have the sense of that kind of question. It's there in verse 15, isn't it? Do you notice it? These brothers, uh, they say, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong things we did to him? So concerns that things will get worse. Concerns over a guilty conscience. And Genesis, this, this whole book, it, it begins to tell us why we, we feel that, why we have that kind of tightening in the stomach at times about those things. It says, look, people, you and me, we were made to enjoy life in this world with God in charge. But people believed the lie that God's way was, was not the best that he's not good and gracious, and so they reject God in the world that he's made. And they design, decide to, to go their own way, and it, it leaves life kind of spiraling down. Things get worse, but spiraling down eventually to death. And it leaves us all at some level with a, the feeling of, we're, we're just not right. There's lots of things that are not right about us. There's, there's guilty consciences and Genesis says, look, those feelings, that's right. That's the world that you live in now. But it also says, look, God is good and gracious. He really is good and gracious. And he, he moves towards people with a rescue and with kindness. And an appeal, get this, that, that the, the God who made heaven and earth would would stoop down low enough to appeal to you, to speak to you, to say, come and trust me. You can trust me. But the lingering worry is, look, what if he can't? What if he can't fix things? What if he's not good? What if he's not really gracious? And in a way to persuade us, that's what we've seen these past few weeks. God gives a worked example in the lives of a family here in this book of Genesis. The story, if you've been either coming along or tuning in, the story, you, you know it by now. These, these brothers, Jacob's sons, ignoring God, decide to go their own way, and they sell Joseph, one of the younger brothers, into slavery because they've hated him. 
They give him up for dead. It's a terrible thing. But God, through suffering, I mean, it has been an incredible story, hasn't it? God, through suffering, manages to to raise Joseph up and, and brings him to exactly the right position, ruling Egypt and overseeing a kind of vast famine relief program at just the time when those same brothers would most need his help. And we saw last week, if you, were, if you were with us, that Joseph rescues these brothers who hated him. He rescues these brothers who, who hated him. Now, in our reading at the end of chapter 50, some years have passed. Their father Jacob's died at a good old age in Egypt, and the brothers become nervous. Verse 15, the, the what-if questions begin. So they send word, verse 17, of a deathbed message from Jacob uh, to Joseph on their behalf. You read that in verse 17. Our father Jacob said this. And when you read it, you, you have the question, did, did Jacob really say that? It, it sounds kind of made up, doesn't it? Because they're worried they, they've just made this kind of thing up. It, it sounds made up, but it's possible. Jacob might have said it. And then they come to Joseph. That's the way the story goes. There's honest confession. They, they don't downplay any of the things they've done. In verse 18, we're told they, they threw themselves down before him. And if we've been reading since the beginning of this story, it's meant to remind us of what God promised back in chapter 37. I don't know if you remember it. Back in chapter 37, right at the start of this story, Joseph had a dream. He said this, Listen to this dream I had. We were, we were all binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while, while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. You, you get what the picture was, that at some point in the future, Joseph would be kind of exalted in some way, a ruler, and they'd be bowing down in front of them. They didn't like that, but now it's happening. It's happened just the way God said in the dream that it would happen. God telling well, he was telling the end of the story right at the beginning. Why was he doing that? To persuade us that he knows, he really does know how the end of your story would work out as well. He knows how life will work out. You can trust him. And then Joseph's response to the brothers and their nervousness and their concern. Do you see it, verse 17? And after they've spoken to him and come to him, We'll just read these two words at the end. Joseph wept. There is no grudge towards them. Forgiveness was genuine. And then he wants to tell them some things about God. That's what he's doing here. He wants to tell them some things about God that will settle the what-if questions that are troubling them. And hearing the answers that he gives to them will, will settle us as well because you have what-if questions as well, don't you? Those of you who are here this morning and you've, you've already set out on this life of, of wanting to follow God, wanting to trust the Lord Jesus, you still have what-if questions. And those of you who've maybe come, as, as many do on Sundays here at Christchurch, come still kind of looking in on the Christian life, wondering what it's all about, you have what-if questions as well. And the answer Joseph gives will, will settle your hearts as well. Two things we'll, we'll see this morning. He, here's the first thing. 
that we think about. God plans good even through evil actions. God plans good even through evil actions. It's tempting to think, isn't it, that if there is a God in a world where bad things happen, that, that somehow it works like this, that if evil is over here, God is, is somewhere else and he's coming up with a plan to counter it, that, that evil actions make the first move and, and God is always thinking, oh my goodness, what, what's happened? How am I going to respond to that? And the Bible would say, look, if you think that way, that, is to, that would be to make evil too big and God far too small. Because notice what, what Joseph says. There in verse 20, he puts it like this. You, you intended to harm me. And literally, the, the words he's saying there is, you intended evil towards me. And then he said, but God came up with a plan, responded to it, countered it to work a way around it. Except he doesn't, does he? He says something quite different. And I think when you begin to hear it, it's the kind of thing that messes with your head a little bit. Verse 20, here's what Joseph says. You intended to harm me, your actions, but God intended it for good. Those same actions. What does that mean? Uh, let me try and show you. I'll pop a little thing up on the screen. He's saying something like this, that the, the brothers, those brothers really did plan evil against Joseph, and it produces the consequences of evil in, in suffering and shame. That's what happened. They really did those things. But Joseph says something else was going on. Something else was happening, and it's this, that, that God, he says this, God is good. And he plans, only plans, genuine good. And in the end, God's, God's good plans will graciously produce life and joy and blessing for his chosen people. But here's what we've been told here. Joseph is saying to his brothers and, and through them to us as well, he's saying those two things don't run separately. No, he says it happens like this. God's good and gracious plans are even worked out through people responsibly doing their own evil plans. Now, just think about that for a moment. That means, what, what we've been told, that means what these brothers did was genuinely wrong. They really did a wrong thing. They're guilty. They'll need forgiveness. But it also means, even as they were doing that, it, it, it also means at no point was anything ever out of control in an ultimate way. Because this is saying God was always, even through this, working out his own good plans. And you might ask as you hear that, well, doesn't that mean, doesn't that mean in some way that God is, is somehow kind of sponsoring evil? But no, I don't think it means that. But what it does mean is that God is, is so powerful. God is so in charge of this world that even evil is still under his control, that he boundaries it. And that in the end you'll find even those wicked things that were genuinely wicked will end up serving some good purpose that God has. 
Now, your mind might go to some terrible atrocity or even something terrible that's happened to you because I guess for many of you, there have been some, some really, truly awful things that have happened in your life. You've been treated in cruel ways and you might say, I can't see anything good that can come out of that. Now, remember what this is saying. What it's telling us. It's saying, look, look, when evil things happen, we're not to think, well, it doesn't really matter because God's got a good plan. It's not saying that at all, as if you just give a pat answer to that those things don't really matter. It's not saying that at all. This says it really does matter. Wrong things really are wrong things, and they matter because God says they're wrong. But the reassurance is that any evil done to you will not have the final say. It's not the end of the story. In fact, God's good plans will even end up subverting those evil things for good. And if you were to say, and I think I would echo them as well, if you were to say, I can't see how that will work out, well, the comfort this story gives is, look, well, neither could Joseph when he was beaten by his brothers, trafficked as a slave, sexually harassed, thrown in prison, forgotten by those he helped. And neither could his brothers when for the best part of 20 years they were full of guilt for the evil things they had done when they were younger. And I wonder if there's some here who who feel that maybe Maybe your concern is less the things that have been done to you and the guilt you're living with for things you've done in the past. And you wonder, well, there, is there ever going to be a way for that shadow to pass? And the brothers felt that. Joseph felt those things. But in the end, they found God is good and gracious. And he had a plan, even though they didn't deserve it, to give them life and a future. Now, there's no doubt that all of us will face the impact of wrong things. We'll, we'll face the impact of wrong things in our life. Things done to us and things done by us. And there is no comfort. There is no comfort in a God who is taken by surprise by those things. And we're wondering, how is he going to respond? Can he respond in any way? What's going to happen here? But to know there is a God, to know there is a God who, who so rules over everything and has the power in the end, even through evil things done to you, even through the evil things people do to bring his own good and gracious saving plans to bear on the people he's chosen. That's a God to trust. That's a God you want your children to grow up knowing about in this world that will be full of all sorts of just sad and terrible things at times. Uh, God, uh, God plans good even through evil actions. Here's the second thing. Uh, God provides a gracious Savior even through evil actions. You notice the way the brothers come to Joseph. Verse 17, they come with these words, we are your slaves. And, and you realize what, what's going on for them, what they're saying. They're, they're saying to Joseph, we know we're guilty. 
We know we've done things wrong, but if you let us live, we will live as, we'll work as your slaves. We'll try and work off the debt we owe. And because we know we can't ever really do that, we'll just be your slaves forever. You feel that kind of thing at times, don't you? I've done things wrong. I've just got to pay it off, and it will never be paid off in some ways. The the brothers come with that kind of sense to Joseph. We'll we'll be your slaves. And and part of the worry, part of their what-if concern is that they've still really not got the kind of grace that God offers. They're thinking of something like this. At some level, God expects me to pay for all, all my mistakes, and I'll never be able to do that. So life will be lived as a slave. But God's been saying to them all the way through this book and all the way through this story, no, no, you're, you're not able to pay for these things. You can't pay for this. You're not able to do that. But I will graciously save you. We've ma- noticed lots of times the kind of savior Joseph's become as we've gone through this book. He's, he has genuinely gone through suffering in order to be in the right place to be able to rescue them. And he freely forgives the wrongs they've done. He, he promises to provide for them. He treats them, not as just people who, have, who need to stand in the corner, but he treats them like family. And after doing all of that, they still don't quite trust. I mean, what do you do with people like that? I mean, these are people who, were, who did the most awful things to him. They treated him terribly. They hated him. And then when it comes to the crunch, he's the one who graciously, nothing but graciously, saves them, rescues them, treats them like family, speaks to them in all sorts of ways, promises to provide for them. And after he's done all that, there's still the lingering doubt that maybe he's going to be a bit mean with them. That he's not very kind. He's not good. I mean, what do you do with people like that who who treat you this way? who've been mean to you, and once you've been, continue to be kind, they still don't even trust you. What would you do with people like that? Do you see what Joseph does, verse 21? Uh, just have a look at it. If you've got the, uh, the Bible open there in front of you, hear what it says. He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. That's what he does. And those words, spoke kindly, it's, it's literally he... He spoke to their heart. You read that and you think about the the patient kindness of the Savior God provides. You think about all the ways you you feel a bit of a muck up and, and a mess up yourself. And the thought of having a Savior who's provided, who would speak to your heart, who knows what's going on inside and would speak to that. You know what it's like reading good stories uh, at times, don't you? I'm sure you remember that from when you were younger. Maybe there were stories that you really liked. Or those of you who are younger are still doing it. You, you read some stories sometimes, don't you? And you think, I'd like to get an invite to Hogwarts. Wouldn't that be great? The feasts that go on there, that would be so enjoyable as you read them. Or, or maybe it's other kinds of books. Maybe it's Lord of the Rings and you think, I'd like to travel with Gandalf. Maybe it's watching things on, on TV when you were younger. I'd like to have adventures with Doctor Who. Those of us who are older, we still do the same, don't we? We might not say it out loud, but you read stories and they draw you in and you think, I'd like to be in this story. I'd like my life to be a bit like this life. That's, that's what stories do. They, they capture our imagination. And you think about your kind of what ifs. 
as you read a story like this in the Bible, and you can think at times, understandably, I'd like a friend like Joseph. I'd like a brother like Joseph who would treat me like this and speak to me like this. Someone who I could learn from like this. And if you feel that, you remember what this story is here for. The story is here in the Bible. The reason God's put it here is, is to let us see what God's like so you'll know him, to see God's grace, but also to point us towards his son, the Lord Jesus. Joseph is, if you like, he's like a sketch drawing of what Jesus is like. And so you ask about Joseph's suffering. Did it have an evil purpose? Yes, it did. Did it have a good purpose by God's grace? Yes, it really did. For Joseph, for his family, for the world of his day. And then you think what it points towards. You think about the Lord Jesus. Did his death on the cross have an evil purpose? Yes, it did. It was a wicked thing. Did his death on the cross, by God's grace, have a good purpose? Yes, it did. It really did. That's why when we come to Easter next year, we'll speak about Good Friday. Jesus, through his suffering, got to the place where he could be the Savior that we need. He took all the things that we've done wrong, graciously took the punishment that we deserve, so that our lives will, in the end, be shaped, not by what ifs, but by God's grace. So that our lives won't just spiral to death, but that we'll be raised with Him. And that a guilty conscience that we maybe feel won't be the final word about our lives. It will be forgiveness and a welcome into God's family. And yet we still doubt. Is he really good? Does he love us? What about all the things I've done, even when he's done all that for us? And so you hear what else this story is saying to us. Listen to how the writer to the Hebrews speaks about Jesus. He says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Church family, God has given to us a Savior who is able to rescue us and forgive us. But more than that, a Savior who will keep speaking to your heart and speaking kindly to you even as you struggle to trust Him. What do we do with that? Why, here's a couple of things you could do. Knowing He's like that, take time to listen to Him. Read His Word. He will speak kindly to you. And for us as a church family together, it's good that we learn from him. We, we all have doubts. We all have worries. We all do things that we get wrong, sins that we commit. We want to be a church family that learn to speak in the same way our Savior speaks, speaking to one another's hearts about his grace and kindness towards us. Let's pause there. We'll have a moment 
just to pray ourselves uh, and respond uh, to the Lord. And then I'll lead us in a prayer. Let's have a moment ourselves for some reflection. Oh, Lord God, uh, who knows in each of us all the different what-ifs that will be going on in our hearts and minds uh, about the consequences of things done to us or things done by us. And it's a reassurance to know that there is a God who is so in control of all things that He's able to work out uh, good plans even through uh, all those things and to save us. It is a reassurance to know that, but it is a wonder, a wonder to know that that same God would come and speak kindly to us, speak to our hearts. And please would you help us to know you as you are and to trust you in your goodness and your grace in the days ahead. We ask it in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.